Waking Up From Work podcast. My name is Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Hey, and welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast, people and community. Well, community is a group of people that get together. So welcome back, guys. This is Dave Swillam. This is episode 24 that you're listening to today. And uh, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants right now. So what happened is we actually had a guest scheduled and that fell through. And uh, I didn't have the speed to bounce back from it because I've been backlogged in recording side hustle and um i'm very behind in that like piling up like three or four eps that need to get out in the next three months and for me that's quite a lot of work so um i didn't have enough time to rebound and i'm doing a lonely episode on sunday night without ryan because the show must go on so but i won't waste your time i promise so first of all i wanted to thank we got like a couple more reviews um so now we're at 25 star reviews. You guys are awesome for doing that. I appreciate you. Um, these didn't have any words to them, so I can't thank specifically who it was. But if anyone ever writes a review for us and says something about it or says, you know, their business, their passion, their band or anything, I'll definitely give you a shout out. Um, I really appreciate when you guys are doing that. It gives us, you know, a pat on the back. So thank you for that. And thank you for getting us to 1400 downloads right now. That is pretty stellar, and I'm super pumped up on that. So thank you guys for listening to us and hanging out. But yeah, so to just get back to it. So what we're going to do today, because it's just me hanging out, is I actually dug up an interview that I did in, it looks like October of last year. So what I did for when I was finishing up my MBA, I took a course called Strategic Management. And it was about basically what that is, is strategic management. How do we how do we operate something and choose the way that we run it or the direction of it strategically to put ourselves in a position to be able to win or get better or, you know, win the next battle, you know? So I can't actually say who this is. And I couldn't actually record it, which is why I actually note noted everything down because just of some private content that was there and some specifics about the company that I couldn't go over. I wasn't allowed to actually record it through audio or video at the time that I did it. So I wrote it all down, but I did do that and really wanted to share it with some other people because I got a lot out of it. When I met with this person that day, he was a very strong leader at a very strong company. And even though I'm all about small business and working with your side hustle and you know the common Joe getting what they want done. And I'm not about all the corporations, I guess, without sounding like a hippie. Um, there's a lot to learn from, from people from these organizations. Just like when I was working at Verizon, I learned so much because they have the resources and they don't get to where they're at if, from being bad at what they do. So they know, they know their stuff. And I learned a lot from this person that I think can be implemented on your day-to-day, even as an individual sole proprietor, you know, as a person in a band, as a- anything really, I, because it's about putting yourself in a better position and thinking in a way that puts you in a better position. So like all of that's applicable to all the things that you want to do. 
So this person was a senior sales director for a software as a service company in Massachusetts. And this company is huge. So going in there and meeting up with him in his office and taking some time from his day was really cool to be able to pick his brain. He's a super chill guy. So he talked to me real life, you know, giving me what he thought on things. So I haven't really done this before. I might keep this short, but I'm a ranter. So who knows? But I want to read some of the questions I asked and some of the answers, and then I'm going to break them down a little bit because uh, I've been thinking a lot about some of these things lately in the way that I go about my day. So, um, you know, not to get too specific on the actual industry because I'm not concerned with that for you folks. But the first question I really got into was, are there forces outside your organization that put pressure on how your business is run? And he essentially said that there's always customers you know, there's always competition. There's always customer requirements for a product. But what he said to me that stuck out, this is a quote, is no one should have to tell you how to use your time card. Like no one told you how to use Amazon. And what he was saying by that is that to come up with a really good concept for a business to run off of or sell as a service or a product it should be something that you don't really have to think of because it's something so big that by habit, by nature of humans, we would adapt to fit doing that organically. You know, I'm sure that someone showed you Amazon, like when it was first getting bigger, said, Hey, I got this book. It was super cheap from this place. It directly mailed to my house. And I think five days, I don't know, three to five days at that point, but someone might've said something like that. but. Amazon didn't really happen just off the back of people talking about it on a day-to-day, but more so people organically getting into it and, and just being able to function and filter through that site to do what they needed to do just by habit. And so creating something that basically people can really organically get into. So that can be broken down into anything that you do. So like you're writing music or you're working on your business, whatever it may be, it's not so much selling out or doing something like that. It's just like thinking about what is the audience that I want to attract and how do I make something that they don't even know that it's something that I want them engaged with and they're just engaging with it because it's something organic and natural for them to pick up like a child learning to talk or a child learning to walk just based off of normal function. So I then went in, I asked, how do you, how do your biggest rivals compete to try to gain an advantage with customers in your markets? And he said that some competitors try to go wider for their solution, but they offer a one-stop shop, whereas we go where they lose depth when they do that. And that's a super valid thing to say when you're talking about being strategic and what that is, is you can come up with a concept that's a one-stop shop. You can, you know, make a music that everyone will kind of listen to, or you can make a product that pretty much everyone will use. And there's obviously exclusions to this point that I'm making. But if you're trying to sell to everyone, then you're selling to no one is what I've found. And when you're looking at today in terms of the way that we function in the economy, you really see niches and people are niched down to specifics. 
like in music, there's not just metal anymore. You know, when you used to see Guns N' Roses or Metallica, there's not just even that Led Zeppelin was metal, right? So that's what's crazy. It's not just metal anymore. It's gosh, it's broken down like metalcore, deathcore, sludge, sludge metal. Like I, I'm, I can't even think of them all right now on the spot like this because it's hot as balls in my room. But the amount of things that go down. So it's, it's how do you niche down into something that attracts a certain audience? And I think a lot of that comes to be with who are you as a person and what are the things that you're most interested or your best attributes. Go all in on what it is that you absolutely love or what makes you you and you will niche down into an audience that makes sense because you can be a one-stop shop, but in that instance, you're basically selling to everyone, which is usually selling to no one. And so when I, when I was talking to him in terms of depth of depth of subject. So if you go out too far and you want to be the one-stop shop, then sometimes you're also losing depth in what you go in. So for me, like the only things that I care about in life are like obviously friends and family, business and music, and I don't really care about much else. So like the material that I cover on this podcast or the things that I'm talking about over dinner conversation, there's other stuff that I like. Like I love craft beer. And I love brewing sometimes and I love skateboarding, longboard skateboarding sometimes. But it's like at the end of the day, you can only have so much depth on so many topics. So if you're trying to be strategic and you're not trying to sell to everyone, so you sell to no one, how do you niche down into the things that you can go all in on and you can be your true self to bring out real content, things that organically come to people who follow you? right? It all ties together when we're being strategic about our choices for what we're offering and doing. And then how do we provide depth on that topic? So what I've been doing lately with those wake up Wednesdays, when I'm just forcing myself to do a video on Wednesdays, a lot of that is like off the cuff, but the, the, what that's bringing is I'm going more in depth on topics that I don't get to cover on this podcast because I only have a certain amount of time and a certain amount of ability through voice to be able to communicate with you folks. And also I have to have some type of plan to be able to fill up 30 minutes to an hour of a podcast. Whereas those like eight minute videos I can do off the cuff when I get back from work with whatever's on my mind. And that brings out the depth on certain topics. So like the first one I ever did with an actual idea to it was talking about a way that I record rhythm guitar for metal bands. That's super in-depth because it's not me talking about just vaguely recording and what it entails to have a recording business. And right now, talking about strategery, I don't know if that's a word or not, please correct me, live viewer, if that's real or not, strategery, being strategic in business, that's also not necessarily part of the whole view of business, but it's more so like a specific way of addressing something. So going in depth on what it is that you've already niched down to your audience and delivering something that you've thought of with them in mind that they can organically get into and sink their teeth into is really what he was talking about with his software as a service. But software as a service is not really my field, but I think that what he's talking about is applicable to pretty much anyone. And so another thing that I've been really thinking about lately to go off of this, I did like a short little blurb about it is I'm really all in on 
reducing friction when it comes to talking and communicating and portraying with people. And what I mean by that is you have to think about it's it's such a natural thing to think of reducing friction or just making it easier to do things. But for whatever reason, just the way that the human mind works and the way that we seem to work, at least in this country, is we make things more complicated than they have to be just by habit. And even if something's really simple, sometimes it feels like it's too simple and it can't be that simple. So we make it more complicated, even if that option would have worked just fine. So I actually wrote a sticky note on my desk at my day job where I'm doing marketing most of the day. I'm doing AV2, but it literally says, are you creating or reducing friction? And it's plastered right up on my main screen. And it's actually really, really annoying. And it's really hard for the OCD side of me to not pick that off every day. But the reason why that's up there and the reason why I've been all about it and talking about it lately is because I really believe that that's a way to convey your message or get what you want done quicker if you force yourself to think about the things that you're adding and could subtract to be able to get to the same place. So it could be if you are trying to market or communicate with people. I was just talking to an artist like maybe an hour and a half ago because they're getting ready for their EP release about how are we going to release our, you know, your record for your EP release show because they want to print CDs. And I really adamantly tell people not to make CDs anymore. So what I usually do when I'm trying to make that point is I ask everyone in the room of that band, how do you listen to music? I listen to it on YouTube. How do you listen to music? I listen to it on Apple, you know, Apple Music. How do you listen to your music? I listen to it on Spotify. You can go through the room and ask those people and then you say, okay, but you're about to make CDs. But you just told me every one of you doesn't play CDs. So you can make CDs, but you're creating friction when you do that. And by that, you're basically making the way that people would consume your music and content, not the way that they're consuming right now. And so by doing that, there's some amazing local people that support local music that are going to be awesome and buy a CD. And then there's audio nerds like me who are going to buy a CD. It's not, it's not to say that people won't get into your music by giving them a CD. What it's saying is that you're making it more difficult for them to get into your music by having one of the biggest ways that you're presenting it is something that's not the number one easiest thing for them to do. And that's why streaming's here. So those things that are organic for the way that we work is convenience will always win when it comes to people. And anything that you can do to make something more convenient for them is a way that you will have a better chance of being able to accomplish what you're trying to do in the conversation, communication, or the art or business that you're doing. So when you're marketing, you know, I, I'm just getting into this. So like there's people that probably listen to this podcast that can school me on marketing. Um, a lot of it, I just try to go off of the way that I'm usually a pretty good communicator with people. And I try to think about it like a conversation. And when you're going through a website, if it takes forever to get to the call to the action, if it takes you forever to get to the contact us portion of it, or there's things that pop up at you that make it hard to do, or it's complicated and there's a lot to digest, 
and you think that there's easier ways that you can get that information or there's other services that are going to be easier for you to go to, then you're creating friction for them to get through their website and do what you want them to do. And the same thing when it comes to personal relationships, like reducing friction in personal relationships when you have a friend that you really admire and love and hold true as a friend, but you just don't see them a lot. We all have friends that we really do care about, but we just don't get to see them a lot because of the way that our lives work out as adults. And it's just the way that it is, but you really do care about them. The more friction that you create in the ability for you guys to hang out or to meet up or communicate, the less likely you are to maintain that relationship. And it's not because anyone's giving each other a hard time. It's because you're creating more and more things that get in the way of someone being able to function and do something when they're busy and they're doing other things. And it's just part of attention span. And it's also part of being a realist of how something can and cannot happen. So say, you know, you get frustrated because they don't text you. So you just never text them. You're like, oh, they, they should text me because I'm always the one that texts them. But you can do that. And they're probably not thinking about it maliciously in that way. It's just the way that they are in terms of a communicator. But if you don't send that text, then you're creating friction because you're not creating a stream that's easier for the water to travel. And so this is like a total side tangent off of this interview that I was talking about, but it's something that I've been really passionate about lately because it's making me do things easier. And for people that are busy, which is most of us, it saves a lot of time and effort to be able to think of an easier way to do it than to just act and figure it out later. I'm, I'm, I'm all about doing something that makes you less likely to hesitate to act over and over and over and over again than having that energy, that motivation, because we talk about motivation is not necessarily being as good as a habit. This is what they're talking about in terms of a habit. If my habit is to leave my shoes for the gym right over there, when I walk up, my room's upstairs. So when I get home from work, I come up here and I drop down all my stuff. You know, you have to get adjusted. If I leave my shoes over there, I'm more likely to go to the gym. And the reason why is because I'm I'm creating something that's not as hard for me to do. So it's more hard for me to walk home, walk upstairs, do all what I was going to do when I get out of work, and then walk downstairs where I used to keep my gym shoes at and have the motivation to go down there and grab those and grab things in different places. But I just have my gym bag with my gym shoes ready to go with a pair of clothes, either up here or in my truck as a way that it makes it so that there's not something in my way to do the thing that I want to do. So it's not so much about being consistent about trying to do the things that you want to do so much as it is removing the things that stop you from doing it. And I think that that goes double for if you have any employees underneath you, I firmly believe that the best way to be a leader is to remove friction from your employees and everything else would be successful. So when I was working for Verizon and I had sales reps and I had people under me for operations or whatever it was, something that I'm trying to do on a day-to-day basis is, you know, maybe with someone I can do a pep talk or I can do an example and I can try to teach them things as a way to do something. And that's effective for like a day or a week or however long that person's motivation 
lies in line with what I was talking about or what I was portraying. Or I can find out what really bothers them every single day and get that out of their way. So whether it's a way of that people communicate to them, whether it's a habit or it's like it can be the simplest things. Maybe that person isn't good with numbers and it's just about showing them how to use a different tool like in Excel or a format or something in software that calculates things for them. Or maybe, you know, that person isn't comfortable talking to people about certain things. And the way that you remove that is you step in for that one thing, which allows them to do another 10 on the side. But this all kind of side tangents out and and unravels from that one comp set that I just want you to stop and think about because I think it's something that we truly want to do or we do do even every single day, but it's been helping me a lot to take a moment and think about it proactively, like oh, reading that sticky note and basically forcing myself to think about it because I certainly am always trying to find the most complex way to do things. So it's pretty much a part of me to add things for that. But getting back to this interview that I did with him, I was going into and I was talking about, I said, describe your organization involves leadership, team and developing strategies during challenging economic times. Because I think, you know, when I'm thinking about my recording business and I'm thinking about how I want to live my life in terms of what brings my income in and how do I spend my day to day and have that control. Something that's really important to think about when you're coming up with your business plan is, you know, our economy has been good for a while right now. It's 2019. We had some stuff obviously go down 2008, 2010. But God, it's been a long time that our economy has been doing pretty damn good. And it hasn't had the crash that people have thought that it was supposed to have over and over again. So it's not to say, it's really not far out to say that that should be coming at some point. Like the the cycle seems odd right now to me anyway, and it might just be because I'm not as on top of it as some other people. But when you're creating a business concept and you're writing your business plan, like if you want to open a meadery or you want to open a restaurant or you want to start a real estate business, whatever it is that you want to do, you really need to think about things in the best of times and the worst of times and how that's going to happen. So, you know, when I'm doing like anything for for real estate, if I'm looking at a property, I'm I'm looking at an Excel sheet and I love planning like what's the worst case scenario? What if we get zero renters? What if um, you know, we run into a boiler that goes out even though it looked like it was good in the inspection? What if um, you know, what if I lose my job, my day job? What if that's gone? putting factors in to say, what is the worst case scenario and can I survive is extremely important for any business. Or if you're going to turn your passion into a business and you're drawing income from it or life design or anything is how do I be the cockroach in the nuclear bomb? How do I survive absolutely everything and how do I plan for it? So I plan for the best, which is right now, you know, maybe I'm being more aggressive. Maybe I'm being more strategic when the economy is good and that's awesome move with the ebbs and flows, but how do I also function and grow in a bad economy? So what does your business or income look like in a good or bad economic time? What 
when you're thinking about the people, so like we talked earlier and we said, all right, we should niche down and we should get more depth in the offers that we're doing for those people, right? And we should make something that they organically are attracted to and reduce friction, right? So we have this path of things that we're thinking about to be able to come up with the best product or service or way of functioning in our passion, whatever it is that you're up to. But then we also have to think about what do people do and not do in good and bad economic times to be able to do that. So I'll make an example. And and I haven't, honestly, I haven't thought about it yet, guys, because I have a full-time day job and my side hustle. But I, you can bet that I'm starting to think about it now when I'm trying to figure out how this transition happens at some point in my life. And when I'm looking at like the recording industry, which has been an absolute flip up on, you know, it's just been crazy the past 10 years with how much technology has changed and how much the industry is caught up and what's been offered through distribution and technology. But when I look at music industry in bad economic times, what's interesting about it is the music industry will continue in bad economics times because people don't stop listening to music, but they do maybe stop going to live shows, right? They're not going to stop listening to Apple music in their car, you know, for the $10 or the $5. A lot of times they're, they're willing to spend that on a monthly basis, but they might not spend $150 on a concert, right? Or they might not spend a $50 band shirt at your show. They're, they're going to change things. And I mean, if you're looking at a streaming model as a musician, now your income really, really changed what things you have margins on and things like that. So if I'm looking at recording, you know, people are still going to be making ebooks. They're still going to be podcasting. They're still going to be making audiobooks. Bands are going to record, but they're probably going to record more stuff at their house, which is happening right now anyway. And maybe they're not going to pay me $50 to master a track, which is low, I think, but maybe they're going to definitely use Lander this time. You know, so what other things can I bring in income when the economy's bad? It's something I really encourage you to think about when you're trying to plan out what it is that you want to do is how do I survive things when it's terrible so that that way I just survive all the time and I have the ability to act and maneuver from those changes that are happening in the economy and in the world and then continue on on it. Because the worst thing that I could happen, and I don't wish this on any of you guys, is I would hate to encourage you to go out and pursue what you want to do, have you fail, and then have you buried by it and have no way to continue on on it. Where I want you to fail. Like, I want you to go out there and fail because it means that you're trying and you're actually going after things. But I don't want you to fail in a way that you're buried in some way that takes you 20, 30 years of recovery. And the only way that that can happen is if you truly just don't think at all about what if things are different than they are now and how do I navigate that. So I definitely encourage you to go after it. But I thought that was a super good point that he made is. He was talking about their software as a service and how it navigated through good economic and bad economic time and how what they offer actually does better in bad economic times because it's related to human capital and people always have human capital problems. And basically that that he was talking about was one of the first things that they're going to go after in terms of saving expenses 
is human capital in time like that. That's a great way to save money, unfortunately. Um, so he's saying that their business actually does the best it ever does in bad economic times, which there's businesses out there and there's actually portions of real estate that do that. But that's just an interesting thing that he was talking about. So when I talked to him about, I said, briefly describe how your organization builds internal capabilities, which I know is a lot of jargon, but what it came down to for him was his people, his process and technology. And I think that that's very valid today. And what I was talking about with employees, like if I ever have anyone working for me, being able to add value to that person before my own need, I oftentimes see a better return in that than just thinking about how do I get this person to do the activity that I need them to do. So I, I liked what he was talking about. He was very people centric in terms of the people for the company. And in, and it definitely shows in a lot of the people that I talked about. Um, I talked to, I mean, afterwards, but he said, you need to develop your people. You need to keep them and communicate heavily, over-communicate. Em- employee enablement, a good place to work <clears throat> makes the employees a promoter of that company. And they basically would send out engagement surveys to get feedback on employee life and improvement. And then for management, he noted, people don't have organization. They leave because of managers effectiveness. They don't people don't leave organizations, they leave because of manager effectiveness. And that I mean, unless you're like me who like I literally left because of my last day job because of on a day-to-day basis I care about how happy I am more than any financial target in the world. But truly like my last managers were amazing people and I left only for that, but majority of people leave where they work at usually because of people not treating them properly. But I think communicating heavily is something that I see as an issue in a lot of organizations that I've been able to to discuss with. And that comes to like a lot of people highly underestimate how much people understand essentially of what they're saying. They assume too much. And I do this all the time. Like I'm, I'm very humble on my abilities for being good at any of the things that I do. I'm all, I'm very, I'm like my worst critic. I'm always hard on myself. And what that leads to is sometimes I assume people know how recording goes, or I assume an artist knows that I'm doing something for a reason or I would assume people at Verizon could do a certain function or or whatever it is. And you can't assume. And so over communicating, what it does is you're saying the same thing in multiple different ways, multiple different times and different touch points, different times of days and different communication styles to the same people. And it seems redundant and it seems like you're going to be a nuisance to them or you're going to be frustrating. But what it does is it conveys your point as a leader of the things that really you find value in and you want to reiterate and make sure are happening in front of mind. And I can't stress enough that just doing it in different ways, like maybe you wake up in the morning, you come in and you talk to everyone, you say, hey, I I really need you to do this today. Or, you know, it would be really helpful to me if you did these things today. And you just put, you just say the words of the things that you want done, right? And then an email, so in written word or 
on a on a chalk or whiteboard somewhere in written word or a note or anything, you write down those points or you break them down a little bit and you put them into other subsections or you draw things out or maybe you do like a role play of what you needed to have happen or you do a video of something and you send it to someone or a voice memo or you record a webinar or you anything like but the multiple ways that you're communicating what's happening is you can first relay something and someone goes okay i think that that's important to that person you say it a second time and you say it in a different way hey i really need you to do this thing in this way and you're breaking down for them what things you expect out of it and there's such a big difference between sometimes you tell someone to do something and you really want to empower people and allow them to do it in their own way but also people need to understand their expectations as well because sometimes we feel like because we've worked with people for so long or they've worked for us for so long that they automatically by habit understand the timeline or the way that we want something done or the minute details that we expect from them and it's not something that people know by habit you you know i can i can have my friend eric who i've been good friends with for 15 plus years who knows me better than anyone or my wife who 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 have been with for 10 years and and have lived with forever i can do something and expect that they know exactly what i'm doing or what i want just because they know me that well but then without communicating that sometimes it's taken completely the wrong way and sometimes you need things to happen in a short amount of time and it's and it's hard for that to not not go badly if people don't understand what they're expected to do or what is and is not okay or even like the way that you want things done so when he said over communicate i couldn't agree with that more another thing i brought up with him is these are my actual questions so a lot of those ones that i was talking about before they were actually something that were brought up by the class that i was taking to make sure that i got that information these are my questions so these are the good ones um, what traits of your personality help you perform at a high level? Because I want, whenever I'm with people that I see as a mentor or something that I have the ability to learn from is I want to dissect them and I want to understand what makes someone that's successful, successful, because I want to understand what traits are doing that and helping them along the way. So I asked him this and he said, transparency and trust are number one or too high or too low and treat others how you want to be treated. Build a team, establish consistency, and have their back. And so I think transparency and trust for me are a big part of the way that I communicate. And sometimes it's a bad thing because I'm pretty blunt about what I like or don't like or, you know, what's an issue for me. So there are people that don't like me because of my transparency. Because if someone offends me, I might say, like, I don't like you. I hate you. You know, like, I'll. I'll say exactly what's on my mind. So there are people that can't communicate that way. Definitely when I'm down south with Meg, it's a big issue. Like I can't, I can't, I can't really stop being me, but it really pisses people off sometimes when you say exactly what you mean. But for me, like whenever I'm talking with artists or I'm talking with business or I'm talking with clients of any sort, you know, if something's wrong, I tell them, I say like, I'm, there's an issue right here. Like that's a big fucking problem. And that's helped me out 
because I'm not lying to them and saying, yeah, things are good. And then three months later, when I have to be at a deadline or I have to deliver something and it's not right, and I was saying that it was cool the whole time, it's like not acceptable at all. And that's how you lose people. But I found that if I tell people there's an issue right away, people aren't happy about it because it's an issue. But by telling someone it, it's an issue right away, they respect you for being able to come forward with that. They trust you more because you did say exactly what it was despite it not being something that's in your favor. And as much as it sucks and it leads to shitty conversations, I just want the shitty conversation out of the way so I can get to work on fixing it or getting something else done or getting better at it. So that I love from him. I also asked, what habits do you have that help you on a daily basis? And he said, end of day, evaluate the following day. So when he gets home at the end of the night, he basically evaluates what happened that day and he comes up with a plan for tomorrow. So he likes to basically get what's scheduled and prioritize what needs to be done the following day to have a successful day and incorporate a reflection on his day. That I think is cool because for me, I don't know if you folks have heard of some of the other episodes when we're talking about Miracle Morning or setting ourselves up, but I always, I journal and I write down things in the beginning of my day. Like whenever I'm about to take out, take a shower or right after, I write down my top three goals for the day, for that day. Most of them are the hardest ones I want to get done before noon. And the reason why is because it gives me a timeline. And it gives me things that like those need to be done for my day to be successful and everything else I really want to have happen because I'm a really after it person. I want to do a million things and I try to, but I end up failing when I do a million things. But if I get those three things done and I get the hardest one done before noon, it gives me the best chance that I'm going to knock out the things that need to happen to be successful that day. It also gives me the best chance that I'm actually going to do them because I try to get my hardest one done before a timeline and a timeline where I still have the back half of my day to react if I don't do it. So that's something that I do, but I liked what he was saying about he at the very end of his day when he's in chill time, he might journal down like, what do I have to do tomorrow to be successful so that when I wake up, it's already there in front of my face. This is exactly what I've got to do. And the way that he comes across that is basically reflecting on his performance for that day and everything that happened. So I then asked, I said, as a leader, what is one of the biggest, what's one of your biggest challenges? He said, velocity of change and volume of work to stay ahead of it and absorb it all and remain the subject matter expert of something is a challenge. That's legit. I mean, I think most of us, like most people who are listening to this podcast, you're trying to juggle a lot of things. You are trying to juggle relationships in life. You're trying to juggle whatever it is that's paying your main income, unless your passion is your main income. And I'm super jealous. Um, or you're juggling God knows what else, school and work. Like, I don't know what you folks are doing. You're all kind of crazy, just like me. But um, I mean, volume of work and, and velocity of change and being able to stay on top of both is difficult. And that's why you see, you know, I don't know, I run into people in the recording industry all the time that are so against like, I don't know, people still recording on, on tape and against a DAW or 
there's all sorts of people that have been kind of head down for a while. And there's something to say about that. Like, I don't, don't get me wrong, like focus on what you need to do and ignore the things that are distractions. But there's also, it's really friggin' easy to outdate yourself because you're not staying learning and staying engaged with the changes that are happening at such a fast pace with technology right now. It's pretty ridiculous that it's really easy to get left behind in like five, 10 years. Absolutely. 10 years, the world can flip a million times if you're not going to conventions or reading up on stuff or going out and meeting people and, you know, staying on top of things. So I can relate with everything he said. And the last thing he said, let's see, I said one, um, what's one of the best decisions you've made? And so that's a, a question I ask on the podcast all the time. And the reason is because it's a really difficult answer to say, because a lot of times we come up with something, we kind of get through with it and then we move on and then we act like it's not a big deal because it all worked out. Whereas our mistakes, you know, a lot of positive people see them as good things, which is a great thing, but we can identify them pretty quickly because things didn't go well. So I like to ask people and flank them and ask, what's the best decision you've ever made? Because it's, I don't know if people ask me that on my own podcast, I'm going to have a hard time because it's really hard to to say that. But he said the best decisions he's ever made is building a team the right way. So hiring people that I believed in and that fit the culture of the team I was trying to cultivate rather than going with someone that had more experience that may not have meshed well with the team. That's legit. Um, building a stronger collaborative team to make us stronger. So that's basically hiring people for the content of their character and not just off of their resume. And everyone that I've ever hired for anywhere that I've worked at where I've hired off of a resume is bad, has been bad. And anyone that I've taken my gut feeling on the way that that person interacted with me has been the best employee that I've hired and usually one of the better employees at the business that I was at. And um, I believe that that is because people habitually follow the way that they communicate as a person for the business essentially i think that most people are 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 smart and want to do good and that if someone has a good character you can easily take someone who has a good character and have them aimed to your business so um yeah i mean i i'm sorry that this one uh was so flown together from the seat of my pants guys. But um, this was something that at the time I had decided I wanted to bring up with you folks. And then we just got into so many interviews in real life with people that I wanted to talk to that I never brought this out of there. And it's super corporate-y wording in some of this stuff, but I learned a lot from that man and I learned a lot from this class. And I hope that even if you knew all this, and even if you practice all of this, I hope that maybe you hear it and it gives you a little bit of a jog or a burst of thought or energy directed towards some of these things on your day to day when you're driving your car or running or walking or doing whatever you're doing. So uh, that's episode 24 of the Waking Up From Work podcast. I will get back to some other stuff for you next episode. And um I'm going to keep mixing up stuff like this, guys. I'm, I've decided I'm not going to lock down to like one format like so many other podcasts. I'm really just going to give you different different stuff to 
chew on time to time and I'll just go with what I see from your, you know, statistics on my hosting agent to see what you like and don't like. And then obviously if you like something or don't like, um, the stuff that I'm putting out, hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Dave wake up or the Facebook is wake up from work podcast. And let me know what you think. Let me know the things that you want me to cover because I'm just going off of what people say to me. So I have a bunch of people that have hit me up about they want more information on recording. A lot of indie artists want to know different um, information about recording tips or recording from home. So I'm starting to get that stuff to you guys. And then a lot of people talk to me about basically, um, I think it was John Clary was asking me about getting bored at work essentially and getting, I forget what the exact word is. But some of this motivation stuff that I talk about too. So let me know what um, you want me to figure out. Every Wednesday, I've been doing this wake up Wednesday thing, which is like a five to eight minute video on Instagram, talking about some type of content or something on my mind to keep myself out there. And that's a great place for you guys to make me come up with some information. Maybe we can even just jump on there and chat about stuff that you're up to. I don't know. I'm, I'm super open to all of it, but I'm just trying to keep myself moving here. So thank you guys for listening to the Waking Up From Work podcast. Thank you for you folks for hanging out with me live on a random late, late Sunday. I don't even know what you're doing up right now, but it's the same reason I am, I guess. And uh, if you want to check out any other stuff, check out wakingupfromwork.com if you want to read any of the show notes or anything. But uh, cheers, guys. Keep the hustle. Thank you guys for listening. Peace. Get ready to hustle.